I came to Milwaukee for adventures, not lessons. Now, are you going to help me, or are you going to stand in my way? Good morning, and welcome to episode 398 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballProspectus.com. Presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index, I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. Today, I'm going to go, while you're talking, I'm going to be looking up uh, any significant examples of 398 in baseball history on the Play Index of Baseball Reference, just so you know. Okay, as long as you mute yourself while you do it so you don't cough Mm -hmm. on us. Mm -hmm. Um, So today is the Brewers Season Preview Podcast, and uh, as part of that, Nick Wheatley-Scheller spoke to MLB.com Brewers beat writer Adam McAlvey, who was kind enough to take some time to talk to Nick. Unfortunately, there were technical difficulties. Uh, Words were said, but not all of those words were recorded, and it was too late to come up with an alternative plan. So uh, the Brewers season preview podcast must go on, and uh, that means that Jack Moore... Uh, who you will remember from being on the show a few weeks ago, who wrote the Brewers chapter for the Baseball Prospectus Annual, is going solo. So, hi, Jack. Uh, you, you have to be both blogger and beat writer today. Are you are you up to this task? I am up for the challenge. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you talk in your essay a bit about uh, where the Brewers are kind of in the competitive cycle compared to other teams and how other teams have have done full rebuild, tear down and then rebuild and, and the nuclear option, I think you call it referring to the Astros. And some people have advocated that the Brewers should be in this same boat, that they should pursue that same plan. You are not one of those people. Why is that? Right. Well, I mean, it can be tempting to say this Brewers team lacks talent in the farm system and they've won, you know, 83, 74 games the last few years. They haven't been competitive the last two years, so they need to restock the farm system. But the problem with that is the vast majority of the talent on the Brewers is under the age of 30, and there are some star-level players there in Braun, Ryan Braun, assuming he comes back and, you know, hasn't had like a a monsters from space jam effect from losing the steroids but i don't i don't really think that's how it works mm-hmm. there's also carlos gomez and gene segura were all stars last year ramos ramirez can still hit um you got jonathan lucroy behind the plate uh he came out very well once again i saw in the new catcher framing research yes as always yep and uh their bullpen's much improved over the 2012 debacle with closer Jim Henderson in place. So there's there's a lot of young talent to be excited about. And the Brewers graduated a number of intriguing young players to the, to the major leagues from the farm system last year, even though they weren't you know, necessarily great prospects. But you have guys like uh, Chris Davis, who's who looks primed to get the starting left field job. There's Scooter Jeanette, who will be competing with Ricky Weeks for the second base job. Uh, there's also Caleb Gindle, who looks primed to get a backup outfielder position. Tyler Thornburg, who is expected to compete for the fifth starter spot uh, before the Brewers sign Matt Garza, and who will be uh, valuable depth because it's just never good to to count on five guys to go the whole way. Between between those guys and a couple others, there's a young talent there that to surround the stars that hasn't been there in years past, and if there's some good Good results from those young players. 
I think Milwaukee will be able to surprise some people and get into one of the wild card spots. So um, I um, just have to push back a little on that because it's not just that they don't have good prospects. You you pointed out that they've promoted some players, which can hurt a team's prospects list, but not necessarily their young talent. But today we ran the uh, 25 and under rankings for all major league teams that Jason Parks and his team put together. And the Brewers were 30th on that list. Um, so, you know, even those guys are overwhelmingly just sort of role players, probably, although maybe not. Maybe you'll argue with that ca- uh, characterization. But, um, I mean, even the, the talent that they have in the big leagues is, is you know, largely non-impact talent. So I guess the question that I have is twofold. Uh, one is, uh, is, is the ranking of them as 30th too pessimistic, or is that fair? And two, uh, how did it get this way? What, what happened to the organization that it got this bad as far as young talent? So, so that's a 25 and under ranking, right? So we're right. talking the, mm-hmm. the best three players the Brewers have, position players, Ryan Braun, Carlos Gomez, and I, I would argue Jonathan Lucroy would, would be third. Those guys are 30, 28, and 28. So in their prime, uh, Braun might be on the wrong side, but Gomez and Lucroy, definitely prime players. Then you look at the pitchers. You have Giovanni Gallardo's 28. You have uh, Matt Garza, I believe, is 29. But also um, Jim Henderson is is in his late 20s. You, you have guys that are in their prime, not not entering it. It's those guys in that 25 to 30 range that you know you got a year or two before you need to blow it up. You assume Ryan Braun will still have trade va- trade value at 32. You assume that Carlos Gomez or Jonathan Lucre would still have some trade value at 30. So there's no reason just to be urgent. It's they have this year to play with with a bunch of guys in this good window of time. And if it goes wrong, you you should still be able to make some moves to get some young talent down the road. Or, you know, if it blows up real early, the trade deadline this year. Okay, and going back to the second question about how, um, you know, how the, the young talent got depleted, you had a, this, I thought it was an incredible fact in your essay that since Lucroy came up, which was, I think, in 2010, they, yep. have, they have basically had nobody that they drafted and developed, even before that. Come up and contribute to the team. The only the only contributor was basically two and a half months of Michael Fires, which was like right. He was that a guy that was, believed it. Yeah, yeah. Never, nobody thought he was going to make the majors, and nobody really He's expected those guys. Oh, he learned to cutter and was okay for a few months. Yeah, and no one expects it going forward. So, so that's basically three years without a single contributor that they drafted and developed. And teams can go through this with just bad luck alone, I'm sure. But do, do the Brewers have a a philosophy when it comes to young talent? Do the Brewers have a philosophy when it comes to drafting? And do the Brewers have any sort of reputation when it comes to the international market or player development that goes to explain this? Well, first off, there's the trades that they've used to get starting pitching that took them to the playoffs in 2008 and 2011. Uh, Matt Laporta was a huge prospect before they dealt him away. He didn't turn into much. Uh, Michael Brantley has turned into a good player with Cleveland as part of the CC Sabathia deal. Uh, and then you you look at the deal for Sean Markham in two, before the 2011 season. They gave up Brett Laurie, who has been a pretty good player, would clearly be the best player out of any of the players the Brewers graduated since Lucre came up. Uh, and then also in in the Granky deal, they gave up Lorenzo Cain, who has been pretty good, uh, especially defensively when he's been healthy. 
And Elcidas Escobar, who, even though he can't really hit, is an excellent defensive shortstop. So there's some good players in there. And uh, so it's not entirely that they failed the draft. But it's it seems mostly like they failed the draft. And it's kind of a, a drafting and development-oriented organization, right? Is that a fair characterization? At least that's my sort of perception of them or how they how they perceive themselves, maybe. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the teams in 2007 and 2008, the first ones to be any good, uh, I believe before that, their last uh, f- above 500 season was in 1992, back when they had still had Robin Yount and Paul Molitor. So it, it was a long time, and it was, uh, you know, Jack Drenchik, of all people, who, who was the scouting director behind all this, who was getting all these great hitters. He he was the one who drafted Prince Fielder, Ryan Braun, J.J. Hardy, Ricky Weeks, Corey Hart, and there's your there's the core of the team that was good in 2008, and most of that was still there in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, so have you received an apology call from Ryan Braun? I have not. No. <laughs> <laughs> you have not. Uh, have you have you forgiven him? Did you did you hold him accountable in the first place? What or in a larger sense, what should we look forward to as far as Brewers fans welcoming him back or not welcoming him back this season? If he hits, I have to imagine that the fans will be behind him. Uh, I mean, sports fans in Wisconsin love to cheer for winners. It's whenever, yeah, I don't want to say that they're necessarily fair weather fans, although it does hurt when a team's not good when most of the fans have to drive two, two and a half hours to get to the game. Uh, I think if, if Ryan Braun is hitting, there will be people behind him. As far as I'm concerned, I am one of those kind of radical, uh, there should never be drug testing in sports because I don't care. Mm-hmm. And there's also a, a little bit of a deeper economic argument that I've gone into but in general i i'm not the person to ask about forgiving people for steroids i, I just don't care mm-hmm. what would you what just out of curiosity if if ryan braun had had not been uh busted and if he had just basically i mean knowing what we know about his season last year uh up to the point that he quit playing how troubling was the season because there was a you know there was still some drop off and there was a lot of health issues are they health issues that are going to linger and is, were there performance issues that were at all troubling, or is he still like a top five or six player in the game? Um, I think there's there can be a legitimate worry, well, is he going to be the kind of MVP candidate that he was in 2011-2012? Because he had never been quite at that level before. He had been an excellent hitter, but not good enough to totally overcome his failings in the field, and he had he had uh, some some minor strikeout issues, too, so... It's it's entirely possible that he goes back to that more like, you know, regular all star like kind of five win type player instead of the the guy that's competing for the MVP award every year. But I don't I don't I don't think there was enough in last year's season when he was still, you know, still hit for excellent power, still had good plate discipline, still hit a lot of line drives. I don't think there was enough in that sixty game sample to say this guy's not an excellent hitter. And what about uh, Segura? Because we've we've talked a couple times on the show about his massive first half, uh, second half platoon split, and and about his his optimistic Pakota projection, which I think is mostly defense based. Um, is he more of the the second half guy or the first half guy or a blend of both? Or, or how do you see him? 
I mean, the easy answer is that he's a blend of both, and I think that's it. He uh, he hit for a little more power than I think is realistic to expect out of him in the first half. That's when he hit almost all of his nine, uh, all, almost all of his home runs, mm-hmm. and he was hitting some some line drive opposite field shots that were just barely carrying over the fence, and it wasn't really realistic that that was going to keep up. And in the second half, he he got really ground ball heavy, and even though he was still making really consistent contact. And I think that's the reason why it's unreasonable to think that he's going to be like a 550 OPS hitter or whatever it was in the second half. Mm-hmm. He He's really good at making contact. And the, the problem is, and I, I think you can chalk some of this up to fatigue in the first full major league season and stuff like that. Um, I think, first of all, some, some more of those ground balls are going to find holes. And secondly, I think there's no way that he's going to keep hitting 65% ground balls. I think the, I think he's going to have to, there's going to be an adjustment to the point where he's going to be hitting more line drives and find that middle ground in between the two seasons. So you wouldn't be concerned about uh, extending him long-term if the team were to do that now. And there's been some talk about that. Um, That's not something that would worry you, I suppose, having, having seen that slump. Yeah, and I think it, I think it would make a lot of sense to extend him partially because there's not a whole lot of other young guys that are really clamoring for a huge extension in in the system right now with the whole 25 and under rankings. He he would have been one of the few pluses on the under 25 scale. So I think considering the lack of real big impact talent in the system, it would be smart to make sure that the one young guy in the system that's really had a bright spot is here for a while. And are you? Uh, are, how much do you believe in his defense? Because his his fielding runs above average by our metrics, uh, you know, rivaled Andrelton Simmons, and that was really the knock on him coming up was his ability to to play an above average shortstop. You watched more than I did. What are you a believer? Uh, I don't think he's anywhere near as good as Simmons, but I thought he was really impressive. He put on a lot of muscle mass, especially in his legs, and he he just he was very fast. And the thing was when when he was able to get to the balls. And this was something that he wasn't necessarily able to do in his short stint up uh, in 2012. He was really able to pop up and show, showed an incredible arm. And I think that he, he, his hands aren't as pure as some of the other shortstops that Milwaukee has had some pretty good defensive shortstops come through recently in J.J. Hardy and Elcita Escobar. And I don't think he was quite as good as either of them. But I thought he looked really good for a guy that was like, oh, he might not stick at this position. Ooh, he'll be at second base sooner than you know it. So, yeah, I, I believe in his ability to be a pretty good defensive shortstop going forward. And and you mentioned that it's easier to think about extending him because there's not a lot of guys to extend. Uh, of the guys who are up, of the 24, 25, 26-year-olds, uh, Gindel and, and Davis and Peralta and Thornburg and... and um, uh, I don't know who else you'd throw in there, um, Jeanette. Um, who who would you be thinking about extending at this point? Or who would be, I guess it, even if your answer is nobody, uh, I don't want to hear that. So so pick one. <laughs> well, I think, I think it would be Peralta. I'm tempted to say Davis because he came up and hit 11 home runs last year, and he really looked excellent. But I think because he's a guy that doesn't have the – the prospect pedigree that um, that a guy like Segura did, or even a guy like Peralta, who has had some brief stints in the top 100 list, I, I think Davis 
would be the kind of guy that a general manager would prefer to go year to year with because you never know when the you know with the other shoe drops with a guy like that. But with Peralta, his numbers last year don't don't look particularly great. Four point three seven ERA, just a one under two strikeout to walk ratio, but. He looked really excellent after his first 15 starts or so. Uh, from July on, he had a 3.15 ERA with a little bit over a two strikeout to walk ratio in 91 and the third innings. And I think part of that is just getting used to using using his stuff to get major league hitters out as opposed to minor league hitters out. He has a really nasty 95-mile-an-hour uh, fastball. That and with some really heavy sinking action, and with a pitch like that, I think he can keep home runs off the board, which is huge in Milwaukee, which is such such a small park, especially in right field, where the lefties would be getting him. And uh, if Peralta shows up looking anything like that second half Peralta that we saw, who looked really good down the stretch, I think it would be wise to start uh, talking figures with him. Yeah, you, uh, your comment on Peralta in the book made me a believer in him. Um, and uh, one of the things that's you know fascinating about him, though, is that he has like he has incredible gas. Like he only Strasburg and Jose Fernandez and Matt Harvey had a faster average fastball than him, and yet it doesn't it hasn't really played as dominant as those other guys. Is it a different kind of fastball? Is it never going to be that dominant? Is he going to eventually settle in a little lower with more movement or is it just that he hasn't quite figured out uh, how to like locate it or or deploy it or, or whatever like I guess the question is what's his future as a as a flamethrower yeah he might have to dial it down a little bit for for more movement or maybe just throw more of the sinkers as opposed to the the four seamers but I, th- I think most of it is just a matter of location and that's just that's just part of being being a young pitcher. I remember one of the first games that he came up in 2012, late in the season. He threw like an 86 pitch complete game against the Mets, where he was just getting ground ball after ground ball after ground ball. And of course, it was the Mets that was part of it. But he he just looked like he was a master with that pitch. But then he'd go out the next time and he'd be leaving it bell high and it would get crushed. So it's it's just a matter of feeling it out, I think. And he looked like and the results you know, say that looked like he was feeling it a lot better in the second half. I was doing my my weekly uh, or sort of weekly catcher framing articles at BP this season and picking out the like the the best frames or you could call them also the worst calls if you want to look at it that way um, from each week. It seemed like in the top three just about every week was Luke Roy catching a Peralta sinker like six inches below the strike zone. Um, is that something that uh, like Brewers fans are aware of? Does does Luke Roy have a any sort of you know Yadier Molina like following or respect either on the team or among the fans? Well, people like Luke Roy in general because because he hits, and there haven't been a whole lot of catchers in in recent time in Milwaukee that have that have done that very well. So. But I think with um, you know this this catcher framing stuff that gets around uh, you, you know with the stuff you did for Grantland especially you know a lot more visibility to it and, and yeah the the blogs have been all over it uh-huh. you know disciples of Euchre which I used to run and then uh, Brew Crew Ball and the SB Nation Network you know they're on top of it and I think 
think the fan base has been has been catching on a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as uh, Peralta throwing to Lucroy, it was it was interesting because Peralta had been with Martin Maldonado as his personal catcher for a lot of the time, at least. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting. I think it would be Maldonado has has performed well on those catcher defense ratings too. But I've always yes. mm-hmm. I've been looking. I've I've been hoping that the Brewers would find a way to get Peralta and Lucroy together, just because Lucroy throwing that really heavy di- diving sinker and Lucroy being especially good at picking up balls at the bottom of the zone. It seems like it would be a great combination. Mm-hmm. Um. Going back to Davis for one second, didn't Sam was didn't you pick Davis as your player that the internet would fall in love with this year? Uh, I think he was he was listed as one of the like eight players who will be your favorite player at some point this year. Is uh-huh. I think what I uh-huh. where he, where he fell in there. Do you think but the, the Brewers have a, you know the seems like the Brewers have a lot of like all the guys who the Brewers have who we've talked about. It seems like are all a little funky. None of them were really scouted that 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 highly. Um, you know, you've got like the grinder with the grinder name in in Jeanette, and you've got the uh, like insanely bodied. Gindolan. They write Scooter on the lineup card for him. <laughs> yeah, it's and and then you've got Chris Davis, who's like a you know kind of a, a weirdo. I mean, the fact that his name is Chris Davis with is like <laughs> with a K. Chris Chris Davis with That's a K. Key. It's, it is key. It's, it's incredible. Like it's this wonderful good fortune for us all. It's not K R I S K H R I S. The Brewers, <laughs> yes, exactly. The Brewers do seem like an extremely likable team, if not a good one, at this point. Right. I, I mean, there's there's a lot that you got to bet on, but looking on looking at the depth charts, you have something like seven National League teams projected between seventy eight and eighty four wins, and the Brewers are right in the middle there. I gotta figure one of those teams is gonna come out with the second wild card, and uh, they should be right in it. Did you like the the Garza signing as sort of uh, you know once you're once you're close enough that you could realistically contend if everything goes your way, then then every win is is more valuable, and and maybe he's a guy who didn't cost quite as much as the the top tier guys in the market, or didn't come with the draft pick cost. Did you did you like that signing? Yeah, I think the draft pick cost is key there because the Brewers gave up their top pick last year to get Kyle Loesch. And, I, and although I, I think the, that move can make sense uh, because Loesch, at, for the next two years at $11 million each, that they shouldn't have much trouble moving that contract. And I think they can eventually recoup the value. But that said, they have so little in, in the prospect in the farm system right now they really need that first round pick now, especially because. Uh, so so let me take you back. Talk about that protected draft pick. The Brewers had the had the twelfth draft pick coming up uh, in game one sixty one. They were playing against the Mets, who ended with the tenth draft pick, the last protected pick. And David Wright was up with the bases loaded and one out and a tie game, bottom of the ninth. If the Mets had won that game, the Brewers would have clinched the tenth spot and a protected pick, David Wright grounds into a double play, and the Brewers go on to win in the 10th inning. And it was just like, it was just crushing for, uh, for you know, me and a few other people who had been following, like, they got to get that 10th pick so they can make a signing, like the Garza signing, 
it was out, out. I didn't think there was going to be a deal like Garza's four for fifty-two uh, without a draft pick assigned. I figured he was he or anybody similar to that was going to cost something like eighty million over five years. But the market worked out. Uh, Garza isn't blocking anybody in the Brewers farm system. There's not. There's uh, yeah. Maybe they need to extend Peralta, but there's not a whole lot of young pitching talent there that you really feel like. Guards is going to be blocking in four years, even. So I think it made a lot of sense considering they have an outside shot at contention. So, so I'm just gonna uh, just say I don't I don't think they're going to contend. I know that you keep saying they have an, an outside shot at it, and you're a little bit more optimistic than I am. But you know they're probably not going to. Um, and uh, they could you know they could have a pretty bad year. You could you you could easily see them winning you know 68 or 69 games. If things all break wrong, so uh, is is Ron Renicki's job very secure in the event of that? Um, because you know there's like sort of a downward trend. He had that great first season, and then it's been a steep slope downward since. If they if they're if they're uh, doing poorly in May, um, is is he out? And um, uh, partly related to that, he is the small ball king in baseball right now. Nobody is more small ball than him. Uh, so should we be sad to lose such a small bar, small bar, small ball hero at this point? Well, I think Renicky, I think finishing 33 and 32 in the 65 games after Braun finished was a big feather in Renicky's cap, not necessarily because it was good for the franchise, but because, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk in, in May when the Brewers Brewers had a terrible May, they went like six and twenty-two in May and were out of it from there. And there was a lot of talk that the team was quitting on him. And so I think it was I think it was good that when all the young guys came up and they started playing hard, and, and not that the other guys on the team weren't, but like that the new guys on the team were playing particularly hard. I think it was I think it was enough to save Renicky's bacon unless there's a real major collapse this year. So say the Brewers compete through the first couple months and then drop off as the trade deadline approaches, I think Renicky's job would be safe. If they come out and have two six and twenty two months in a row, I think he's gone, but that's that's an extreme case. Um we've talked a couple times on the podcast about the the Unieski Betancourt first base experiment and how sad we were to see him Go to Japan uh, and not continue his historic run of, of futility. Um, what was that like for someone who was watching the Brewers? Was it like, could you see it happening slowly, like sort of a horror movie scenario where the person's going down into the, the, the dark basement and you know they're about to, to get stabbed? Could you sort of see it developing when they when they brought him in that, that inevitably this would happen? Or, or was... Unieski Betancourt as a starting first baseman so so far fetched so preposterous that you you couldn't even envision it. it. It was totally absurd. Nobody nobody in their right mind thought it was possible. And then Corey Hart has that has gets hurt, right? And then Matt Gamble tears his ACL. It's such so terrible. What keeps happening to him? He's you know he, he's he worked so hard in the minors and the two straight ACL tears. And I heard he got hurt again. The, this year, another neat thing. And that's, it's terrible. And then Taylor Green, who, you know, would not have been an ideal first baseman by any means, but he was a guy who had a little bit of pop from the left side and had at least, 
you know, played third base, another corner position before. And then he had to get season ending hip surgery before the season even started. And then we're like, okay, well, maybe they're going to have to do this. And then shockingly, Alex Gonzalez did not t- did not take that job and run with it. Right. But the, the thing is, you know, so in, t- in 2011, when Betancourt was there, uh, there was, he had a brief two month stretch where he hit really well. I believe it was in like May and August. And everybody had been telling me, Oh, why don't you like, why don't you like you, UniB? Why don't you like him? He's, he's raking. What's wrong with you? And, and then, you know, then he fell off really hard in, in late August and September only to hit like 560 in the playoffs. And so I was forgiven and he was gone and it was fine. And then he comes back and he hits like eight home runs. That's like a career high in, in, uh, for home runs in a month in April as the Brewers starting first baseman. Everybody's like, okay, maybe maybe this is going to work out. And then he has like a 260 on base percentage for the next four months. <laughs> so it was uh, – I was not fooled by, by April. It was just – and then, what, then, of course, May was the month where they went 6-22 and 22 and he – had the similar, the similar plummet back to earth. Do you have and a it just so predictable? A new perspective on on replacement level after having seen that. I mean, like, were you watching that thinking there are so many people that you know are playing in AAA or quadruple A guys who would be better than this? Why? Why don't right? Get like, one there's of them, all or? these jokes we have. The people that use the replacement level stats are like it's wins over Willie Bloomquist or. Right. Uh, you know, wins over Russell Brannion or something like that. And I have a, I have a bobblehead of William O'Pena here on my desk. And it's like <laughs> all of these guys, like, please just, yeah. And uh, Juan Francisco did, was fun, at least, because his all or nothing style, it's fun to watch. And when he really lays into one, it's a sight. And so he was fun. And I think, I think he and Mark Reynolds in a platoon as bad as that sounds, <laughs> uh, at least by Fangraphs war, the Brewers, the Brewers first baseman ranked 2,745th out of 2,745. So, to ever play the game dating back to like 1872 or whenever the first American National Association game was played. So, so low bar to clear yeah, is new, what you're saying. New, new perspective on replacement level. <laughs> Okay, uh, so you you've kind of danced around the projection. Would you like to to pin down an actual win total and or finish? Uh, I do think they finish third in the, the National League Central. Um, I'm I really don't think Pittsburgh's off season went well, and I still don't think the Cubs are ready. Uh, as far as wins, eighty two. Uh, I mean, I think they have a chance. Like I keep saying, <coughs> for that. That second wild card, which could only be like 85-86 wins, you know, you don't have to be a world-beating team to get it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think there's too many things that have to go right to really feel feel right projecting anything more than more than that. All right, I uh, uh, oh, I fa- I just want to say I found the significant 398s in baseball history. <laughs> okay, the one, what are the they? ones everybody. Everybody's already thought of these. I'm sure everybody has immediately thought of them. But uh, Dale Murphy's career home runs, of uh, course, uh-huh. classic, a classic 398. Everybody knows that one. Uh-huh. And uh, Ryan Vogelsong's career OPS. 
Oh, very nice. That was on the tip of my tongue. Um, okay, well, thank you, Jack, for, for coming on and carrying a, a heavy load here, solo act. I do what I can. Thanks for having me on. So, everyone, you can follow Jack at jh underscore more. Uh, you can read his writing at a bunch of different places, Sports Unearthed, The Score, Beacon Reader, The Classical. Uh, so you should check that out and read his Brewers chapter in the BP Annual. So please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference Play Index. Go to baseballreference.com, subscribe, use the coupon code BP for a $6 discount. We will be back with another show tomorrow. Please send us emails uh, at podcast at baseballperspectus.com for our Friday email show. We'll be back with another team tomorrow.